What I wanted to do was say thank you so very much to the musicians, those who have ministered to us either vocally or instrumentally. Thank you very much. I appreciate that greatly. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here today. It just is. It's a beautiful day. I always think the Sabbath is a beautiful day, no matter what it looks like outside, but this one is especially beautiful. And I hope you are uh, being blessed today and that you are here expecting to be blessed. I have this theory that when we come to the Bible, we can expect to be blessed. It's just as simple as that. God wants us to be blessed as we study His Word. And uh, when the Spirit of God is present and we have God's assurance He is with us, then we can be confident of His blessing. So um, I'm I'm not going to uh, go to any lengths here to to share any... uh, information with you before I begin. I'm just going to begin and pray with you and expect God to move powerfully in our midst. So would you bow your head with me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come to you today in the name of Jesus. Somewhere way up there you are. Out beyond our atmosphere, beyond the stratosphere, beyond any number of other spheres out there, out past the moon and the sun and the stars, out beyond the Milky Way, which is just one of billions of galaxies. You are there over and above all. And you are here, this great God, whom the Bible says the heaven of heavens cannot contain. We are thankful that you are here in this place. And so as you move here, I pray that your moving will not be in vain. I pray that you will find it within your capacity to speak through this faulty and erring human instrument. I pray you will do that. And I pray you will come to our hearts and and, and grab us. We are here today uh, in varying places of focus. Some of us, we are zeroed in and we are on board. Others of us are already thinking about what we're doing this afternoon, or we are texting, or we are otherwise disengaged. I pray that you just grab our attention just for these next 30, 40 minutes. And, and, and help us to hear your voice and be in tune with what you want to say. And I pray that the words that are spoken would be used of heaven and even, even you, would, you, would, you would work with them or in spite of them to communicate to every heart the message that you want us to hear. And so make this time yours, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. December the 7th, 1941, is a date that will live, what? In infamy. It's always curious for people like me, and what I mean by people like me is people who hail from um, another of the allied countries. It's always curious for me to read in history books 
that World War II began in 1941 and ended in 1945. Because there were other countries in the world who had been engaged in World War II for two years before 1941, and we had been burying our dead and watching the newsreels and listening to the news reports for 24 months or so before December 7, 1941. But let's give American historians their moment. December the 7th, 1941. We know what happened. Oddly enough, there were a couple of men on duty at a mobile radar unit. I should be able to remember both of their names. One of them was a man named Joseph Lockhart. These two fellows were on duty. It was their duty to man the MRU. There were several of these around the island of Oahu. What they would do is get on these radar units that were mobile and scan the skies. And on this particular morning, early, six-something in the morning, they looked at the mobile radar unit that was pointing out at the sky, at the airspace out beyond Oahu, and they noticed something, a blip, and it was a big blip. And as they looked, they said, my goodness, it looks like this blip is moving towards us at a fair rate of speed. This could be a squadron of planes. And so they contacted somebody at Fort Shafter, Fort Shafter, somebody in authority. And they said, what do you make of this? And they looked, and he said, man, I'm not sure, but there's a pilot here, I'll ask him. And he pulled the pilot over, and they looked at this blip steadily moving towards Oahu, and they deduced that it was only American planes that had been out on the USS Lexington or one other plane and they were doing maneuvers, training. So they said, there's nothing to worry about at all. 2,200 deaths later, they realized that they had made a mistake. December 7, 1941. And that's why America got into the war, because of the attack on Pearl Harbor. The war raged on. Here... I don't mean here because it wasn't here. That was the curious thing. It never came here. But I was going to say here and there. The war was in Europe and it was in North Africa. And it was in the South Pacific. And it just dragged on. It was an interminably long war. The Great War lasted four years. This one, do we call it the Great War? I don't know. It was dragging on now six years. And something had to be done. Really, the reason it continued to drag on and on and on and on is because the Japanese were so stubborn. They were beaten by just about every measure, but they were determined to fight to the last man. Sooner die than surrender. The United States government decided to unleash the heavy artillery. On August the 6th, 1945, little boy was dropped from the Enola Gay in the airspace above the Japanese city of Hiroshima. And thousands and thousands of people perished in an instant. That wasn't enough. And so three days later, as the Russians violated a non-aggression pact that they had signed with the Japanese in one place, in another place, and this place was Nagasaki, a second atomic bomb fell and thousands more perished. Negotiations to end the war sped up then and less than a month later aboard the battleship Missouri in Tokyo Bay. A document that was called the Japanese Instrument of Surrender was signed. Various 
officials from Japan, including its foreign minister, Mamoru Shigemitsu, others besides, sat down at a desk on board an American battleship, a curious location, and signed a document that said, we surrender. Now, I'm from a country that has never participated in a losing war. Now, you could say Vietnam was hardly a victory, but New Zealand soldiers haven't traveled abroad. Now, we, we haven't fought really any wars of our own. We've uh, attached ourselves to other nations' wars and assisted them. We have fought alongside our friends. What are friends for? I don't know what it's like to be on the losing end. I know that British soccer fans, when they are on the continent, you know that British soccer fans like to sing. And I've been at, uh, at, at, at English soccer games. Two of them I went to when I was living in London, and I was living somewhere near Highbury, which is where the Arsenal soccer team played and, and to a degree still plays. Um, I decided to go and see the team that I've been following from a distance for many, many years, Leeds United. And it's just as well you don't know much about British soccer because if you did, you'd question my sanity for following Leeds United. And I went to a Leeds game against Arsenal at Highbury. And it was amazing, just out of nowhere. Boom, like an eruption, the singing would begin. It was, it was really a, a wonder, something to behold. But when soccer fans are on the continent, they like to sing a song, and I don't know the tune, but they will sing to taunt the Euros, the Germans especially, and the French also, and they will sing by saying, two world wars and one world cup. That's what they would sing, as in, we have won two world wars and one world cup. You know, there are other countries that have won more World Cups than England, but if you are from Europe and you hear a taunt like that, that's just about the ultimate. And I'm guessing it has to be somewhat humiliating. And I'm guessing that as these proud Japanese government officials sat on board the USS Missouri and signed this surrender document as the world gazed on, not by satellite, but these moments were captured for posterity, for eternity, by journalists who were there. I just have to imagine it was humiliating. As the Japanese leadership well, it was, it was Hirohito, actually, and he spoke with uh, a group of government officials that were known as the Big Six, as he spoke with them and said something like, listen, we just lost Hiroshima and we just lost Nagasaki. They know where Tokyo is. I think I know where they're coming next. We need to surrender. I'm confident there were government officials banging the table saying, how can we surrender? How can we do this? We are so proud. We must fight on to victory. And sanity prevailed. Thank God. Sanity prevailed. Even though it would be humiliating. Even though it would be an admission of defeat. Even though history would record they lost and did not win. They deemed it prudent to sign the surrender agreement raise the white flag, as it were, put their hands above their heads, and I mean that metaphorically, and say, we surrender. 
if Japan had not surrendered, that war would have dragged on and on and on. I'm not getting into the rights and wrongs and the glories or the inglories of a war, and I'm certainly not talking about the morality of dropping an atomic bomb on a city of largely innocent people. But if that bomb hadn't fallen, that war might still be going on. And thousands more, thousands more Japanese service personnel and maybe civilians would have died. America was planning to invade Japan. It would not have been pretty. Because this war was heading in a definite direction to a certain inglorious conclusion. It was deemed the right thing to do to sign the document and surrender. Surrender guaranteed that the slaughter would end. Surrender guaranteed that the bloodshed would stop. Surrender guaranteed there would be peace. And the peace wouldn't necessarily be on the terms of the Japanese, but there'd be peace and the war would end and people could get on with living their lives and rebuilding their homes and their communities and even their nation. As humiliating as it might have been, surrender was the right thing to do. It wasn't the only option. To fight on, that was within the sphere of the Japanese and anybody else. That was their prerogative. But the wise choice to make, in spite of the difficulties surrounding the choice, was the choice to surrender. Now I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 3. That's the passage from whence springs our, our, our week of studies and meditations at GYC Southeast this week. We're in Revelation chapter 3, and we go to verse 14 by way of introduction, where the angel of the church of the Laodiceans uh, says, uh, 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 write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Jesus speaking. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Now we talked last night, and indeed another night, about the curiosity of Jesus saying that my preference for you is that you would be hot or cold. Hot is full on for Jesus, and cold must be full off. And Jesus says... I would prefer you to be full off than uh, the alternative in verse 16. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Jesus says there's a huge problem when people are lukewarm. He defines this in verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who are somewhere in between committed and non-committed. You know, I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, that Christianity and the Christian lifestyle is a radical lifestyle. Radical. I don't know if you've ever met any, any, any fanatics in your life. And I don't just mean religious fanatics, but fanatics. Now I'm here, I have a, 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 a computer and on it there are some notes, I have some notes on here 
and, and I don't know if you can notice from where you are, but did you, you, know what, you know what kind of a computer this is, don't you? What is it? Yeah, it's an Apple or a Mac. That's right. And I'm going to confess to you, I couldn't, I couldn't care less what make it is as long as it works. I'm just, I've turned into my father. Uh, when I was, wore a younger man's clothes, my father really had no use for technology whatsoever. I have a use for it, but I just don't really care about it. I've discovered that suddenly I became cool. I got this computer and now I'm cool. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm cool. I've been in airports and you know you have to take the computer out of the bag. I've had little kids come up, a MacBook Air. And they look at me like I'm the uh, quarterback who just won the Super Bowl. Kids are saying, is that a MacBook Air? Can I have your autograph, mister? And then I'll have adults who will look longingly at the computer and they will say, oh, you've got one of those. And they just wish. What I learned about this whole Mac thing is that, is that while Apple is a company, it's also a cult. <laughs> and Mac users are typically fanatical. And I've got to tell you, as much as I don't really care what stamp was on the computer, I'm coming to the place that I quite like this. And I don't intend for this to be an, ad, uh, uh, an advertisement, but I think it's as though I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and I'm, I'm, be, I'm becoming one of them. You know, don't you? Mac users are fanatics. They're all evangelists too. You can't use a Toshiba or anything else in front of a Mac user without them saying something smarty pants about your poor old PC. They can't help themselves. Fanatics. You know, the Christian lifestyle is a, and I'm going to just use this and hope it doesn't come back to bite me, is, is really a fanatical lifestyle. And what I mean by that is not that you need to be a nutcase. We've got enough of those folks in the church. But not that you need to be a nutcase, but that you ought to be rapidly, radically committed to Jesus Christ. He says, now called... Cold is not good. It's preferable to being lukewarm. Lukewarm is a disaster. Lukewarm is where people say, I'm all right. I mean, I'm, I, I feel like I have enough. I have it all, as a matter of fact. And there are loads of those people in the church who feel like because they turn up on the right day and eat the right food and write the right size check and say the right words and wear the right clothing, that somehow they're right with God. Now, I think it's right to do right, but doing right doesn't prove that you are right. It just proves that you know what to do. You can have a dog who can fetch your slippers. You can have a dog who will bring a ball back, but it doesn't mean the dog is anything other than a dog. So Jesus says in the Bible, I don't want you just to do right as good as right doing is. Because he says there's a danger that you can get into a groove where you think you're right, but you're wrong. And so Jesus says, because you say all of these things, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. And you can find a textbook to look that up, but I'll do a shortcut for you and found where somebody said that represents faith that works by love. I'm not going to argue with that. Buy that from me that you may be rich and buy white raiment that you may be clothed. Jesus is saying the clothing you need is the righteousness of Christ. That's what he's saying here. 
and that you can anoint your eyes with eye self so that uh, you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and... Re- you, know, you know what's interesting here? There's, there's a, in the Christian life, there is a tension. In the gospel, there is a tension. There is a tension. And there is a tension here. There is a tension because now God says to a group of individuals, you think you're one thing and you're not. What I would like you to do is this. Repent, essentially. Repent and come to me and receive from me what you need. There is a tension there now because the people in the middle might and they might not. It's like when Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Same song, different lyrics. Jesus says, you're in bad shape, but I have a solution for you. Or I am the solution for you. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is doing something. And then he says, if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup or dine with him and he with me. Jesus says, okay, so we've established that there are some people who aren't where they ought to be spiritually. We've established that. Now, Jesus says, here's the solution. Now, he says, it's up to you. What will you do with the solution? He says, I'm knocking on the door, and he says, I'm inviting you to open the door and let me in. Open the door and let me in. There's a choice that we are offered here. Now, let's zero in on this choice just a little bit more by turning in the Bible to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Now, the book of Romans is this remarkable book that really, like few other books in the Bible, is like a chain of connecting links from chapter to chapter. As Paul begins his letter to these Christians in Rome and then develops his thought really very carefully, logically and sequentially through the book of Romans. So I recognize we're diving in here. It's like diving into the middle of a pool. I'm not starting at the beginning of a pool, but I trust that you're going to flow with me here and it will be okay. In Romans chapter 6, he says, I don't really want to start in verse 11, but I will. Likewise, reckon, Paul was from the south. Did you know that? Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that word reckon, it means consider, really, or believe a certain thing a certain way. Really, it connotes a choice. Reckon. It happens up here. Consider. Consider yourself to be thus and so. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Now I feel an editorial comment coming on, so I'm going to digress a moment and just just take a side road for a second if you let me do this, because there's a comment that needs to be made. Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You've heard it said, and maybe you've said it yourself, I couldn't help it. 
you probably haven't said this, you wouldn't say this, but you've heard it, you've heard it said that it was said, the devil made me do it. You may have heard people say, sin is just what you are, and you just can't help it, and it's just going to happen in your life. That's a lie. At least if it's not a lie, it's a mistake. Let me attempt to be charitable towards uh, some of my brothers and sisters. The Bible says that when it comes to sin, sin is something you can do something about. I'll finish that thought. The Word of God says, don't let it reign in your mortal bodies. Therefore, evidently, sin and choice have got something to do with each other. Is that right? Sure it is. Sin and choice have got something to do with each other. Sin, as we read in the Bible, is transgression of the law. Now, of course, you can be on autopilot. You can, sin can just be coming naturally to you. The habits and the patterns and the lifestyle that you've developed over the years, it can be that you're just doing stuff without consciously cho- choosing, consciously making a choice. But it's a choice. And I'm glad about that because the Bible says that if it's something that I can choose to do, then it's something I can choose not to do through the power and the strength and the person of Jesus Christ himself. Don't let it rain, the Bible says. So evidently, there's a choice we can make that impacts sin's reign or lack thereof in our lives. And we shall go on. Verse 13. Well, no, I'm going to start in verse 12 and connect these two thoughts. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look at that verse. The Bible says don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But on the other hand, yield yourself to God. Can you give me another word for for yield? Surrender. Exactly right. That's what the Japanese did in 1945. They yielded to the Allies. They said, we're done. We're not going to fight on. We give up. We surrender. And the Word of God says this. This, my friend, is one of the most important words in the entire Bible. It deals with our, with our Christian experience on a moment-by-moment, ongoing basis. Don't yield to sin, but instead yield to God. Surrender to God. I'm going to go down to verse 16. Don't you know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or obedience under righteousness. You can yield to one of two things. Yield to sin or yield to obedience. Yield to sin or yield to Christ. Yield to self or yield to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're caught in a battle. There is a certain tension in our lives. Two opposing and I would say competing forces claiming our hearts. Satan on the one hand, and what he's got going for him is that by nature we are bent towards sin. And Jesus on the other hand, and what Jesus has got going for him, is the power of the Holy Spirit that is able to transform our lives and make us like Christ. Two sides. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Will you open the door? 
is just another way of saying, will you yield your life to me? Will you surrender your life to me? You see, when the Japanese surrendered, everything about their lives was going to change. Oh, I don't mean to say everything. But things were going to be different now. They were not in immediate and total control of their destiny. They simply were not. They were reliant on the people to whom they had surrendered in a great many ways. Now we come to Jesus and we surrender. Now we say, I do not run my life. But instead I've surrendered to you, Lord, and I am asking you to run my life. I'm going to tell you why this becomes vital. It's it's, it's not merely a matter of life and death. It's more important than that. You see... In the Word of God, back in the book of Revelation, the Bible says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, because the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows that he only has a short time. Now, friend, I don't think you need to be Einstein to figure out that we don't have long left on this earth. Seems like if Jesus doesn't come back soon, the whole thing is just going to self-destruct anyway. Seems like it. But Jesus is going to come back soon. We see it in nature. We see it in society. We see it financially. We see it religiously. It's like Matthew 24 is happening all around us. Jesus is coming back soon. And as he's fixing to come back to this earth, there is an angry devil. He knows he only has a short time. And he's working with ferocious intensity right now. Ferocious intensity. You may have heard a quote written by Ellen White, where she talked about what what, what could happen with an army of youth rightly trained. Have you ever read that quote or heard that quote? With such an army as our youth rightly trained might furnish. How soon and so forth. How soon? I don't know whether you know this, but she also wrote that Satan is gathering an army of youth. Satan is busy gathering an army of youth. Remarkable. Gathering an army of youth under his banner he is working like never before he's got technology on his side he's got society on his side he has attitudes on his side there are some places in the world that if you stand up and publicly denounce certain aspects of moral behavior or immoral behavior you can be imprisoned now where's that Laos, China, Thailand, Canada, Canada. Where are we in the world or in the stream of time where you can just read the Bible and say, I believe that, and be put in prison in a Western country? Friends, we've got to see this. Jesus is coming back soon, and the devil is working with ferocious intensity. Unless we get serious about making a decision for Jesus when we say it's all of Jesus and none of the devil, sooner or later he's going to drag us or maybe, maybe he doesn't need to drag us. Maybe just going to run beside us as we flee Jesus' arms and run to Satan's camp. There is a battle raging. It is a serious battle raging. There's nobody in this room or on this entire campus, no matter who he or she is, who is any sort of a match for Satan. The only match for Satan is Jesus, who defeated him at the cross, who will defeat him in your life, and who will defeat him ultimately again when he comes back in the clouds of glory. Friend, this is serious. We are involved in a great controversy. And the Word of God says if we want to be triumphant in that, if we want to be saved in the end, 
that key word to remember is the word surrender. We have a choice. I say thank the Lord. I read in Revelation chapter 18 and I read about a group of people. A group of people who are so... In fact, you might as well turn there. Let's look at this. This is, this is a, a radical form of Christianity. Revelation chapter 18. Now Jesus said, carry the... There's all kinds of people carrying a cross. Most of these crosses are made out of balsa wood. You could carry 10 of them and not even know you had one on your shoulder. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 18, after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And, and, and what does it say next? And the what? And the earth was what? Read it if you've got a Bible in front of you. And the earth was what? Lightened with his what? Now, now you've got to put yourself in that picture. Ask, answer me a question. Is Jesus coming back soon? Yes or no? All right, we've got that figured out. Does Jesus want you to be ready to meet him when he comes back? Yes or no? All right, here's a question I don't want you to answer. The question is, are you ready to meet him? Should he come back right now? Don't answer, just think. And, and maybe you are, and I will say praise the Lord for that. But if you see any weakness in your life, if you see any lack in your life, if you see any inadequacy in your life, I want you to see Revelation 18 and verse 1 and be thoroughly discouraged. The Bible says, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. That's a messenger. Having great power. Who is God's messenger in these last days, by the way? Who is it? Is it the angel Gabriel necessarily? Who is God's messenger in the last days of earth's history? That's the church. That's me and you. All right. So after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven. This is a messenger with a heavenly message. It's you. Having great power, and the earth was lightened with his or God's glory. Now here are God's people, messengers, with a heavenly message. And the Bible says that in them, the earth is lit up, illuminated with a manifestation of the character of God. See, see friends, Jesus, Jesus isn't calling us merely to put our backsides on seats in Seventh-day Adventist churches. You, 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 can, you can pay lost people to do that. You can train monkeys to do that. What Jesus is wanting to do is get our hearts and his heart and connect them together. What he wants to do is reform in us his character. That's what he wants. What he wants is for us to be like him. To be like him. And you might say, Lord have mercy, I'm not like him. And I would say, that's all right. That's all right because we haven't got to the end of the sermon yet. That's all right. Look what the Bible says. God is looking. My friends, listen. God is looking for a people who will be so given to him that he can fill them up to the brim so that when the world looks at you, they see Jesus so that you going here and there in a darkened world light this world up with a manifestation of the character of God. Oh, come on now. That's radical Christianity. That's not just believing. That's not just turning up to Bible class and giving the right answer. That's not just bowing your head before you eat and saying a seven-second prayer. That's living a life connected to Jesus. Everything given. Everything connected. At all times, one with him. And I looked at that verse once upon a time and said, Oh, how in the world is that going to happen in my life? And then I read the Bible. And I read in Philippians 1 and verse 6, that said, He who has begun a good work in you, is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
I said, Lord, that's wonderful. I turned over to Philippians 2 and verse 13, and the Bible said there, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And then I read in Philippians chapter 3, where it says that I can be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. And then I read in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I said, praise the Lord, because God tells me, He will come into my life and live in my life the life that I cannot live myself. I can be excited about that. Now I see myself in Revelation chapter 18. Not because I'm good, but because I say to Jesus, Lord, just have your way in my life. Have your way. Just do your thing. And as Christians, it is our privilege to learn to say yes to Jesus on a continual basis and no to sin on a continual basis. We can choose to yield to Christ when He calls our name. We can choose to yield to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God when we come to the crossroads called temptation. Yield. That's the word I would love you to to remember. When sin comes, yield. Yield to Jesus. When temptation comes, yield to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. When you are confronted with 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 a question or a temptation or a situation, you've got to yield and then say, Lord, this one's for you. Come into my life and live your life in me. If he doesn't, he's a liar. And you would have the perfect right to tell him that. But God is not a man that he should lie. And he will come to your life when you yield. Now listen, uh, I might want to spend more time on this than I'm about to spend, but I'm going to spend just a moment. This yielding business, I don't mean to tell you it's simple. It's simple in theory, no question about it. It's simple. But there there are times when you are going to have to battle. Yielding your will to Jesus isn't always pleasant. You know in the Word of God, I, I love this, and I, and, and I don't want to have been guilty of that the other night when I kind of spoke earlier. you got these preachers, they'll tell you, you know, if all you'll do is keep your eyes on Jesus, then everything can be okay. That's part of the story. That's right. I even shared that part of the story the other night. But you can keep your eyes on Jesus and your life can be a living hell. No question. I mean, let's look at an extreme example. I was fortunate enough to hear a presentation by a fellow who uh, was living in Rwanda during the genocide. Don't tell me that if that's going on around you, your life is just one big happy face. It's not going to be. And yielding to Jesus could be a struggle because of the immense psychological pressure you're under. I talked to a fellow the other day, pastor, he said, my fiance dumped me. We were going to get married. She called the whole thing off. Now he said, my, I feel like my Christian experience is suffering because when I pray, uh, I just don't feel right and I don't feel God. I said, come on, man, what are you, a robot? Of course you're not going to feel right. Your future wife just dumped you. Your whole life just psh, gone. What do you expect? You expect to feel like the guy who just won the lottery? I said, man, when you go to God and your mind is wandering, just embrace it, man. Just tell God, I'm sorry, but my mind is wandering. I've been through some stuff. God will meet you there. That's life, man. It's not always easy. You've developed uh, patterns and habits in your life. That w- the woman at the w- who was caught in adultery, I don't think that was the first time she'd been mugging around, do you? I don't think so. 
Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you think she was tempted after that? I don't know, but I I reckon. Do you think when temptation came, it might have been a struggle for her? Why wouldn't it be? Do you think that because she'd experienced grace, she now became superhuman? Jesus struggled, man. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's crying out to his father. He says, I don't want to go through with this. I don't want it. But what did he do? He yielded, and he said, not my will, but your will be done. Even this practice of yielding to Jesus doesn't make you less human. It doesn't mean everything's going to be a breeze, but it does mean that the Spirit of God is going to breeze into your life and blow with enough power to give you victory where once there was defeat, success where once there was failure. Here's, listen, a young man told me about an experience he had. Walking home, walking up the street, literally up the street, there were no sidewalks. And he looks up the street and in the distance, he sees a woman who was dressed to distract. Can I just say that? And being as he had had some challenges in his life with that, he said to himself, oh Lord, oh God, you've got to help me. He said, this is not going to be easy, but there's no way out. How am I going to be able to walk down that street? Because the woman had stopped and was talking to somebody and keep my mind where it ought to be. Because she had deliberately set out today to distract the likes of me, is what he said. And he prayed a prayer and said, Lord, you know the jam I'm in right now. I'm praying an impossible prayer. I just wish you would make that woman disappear. And when he lifted up his head after he'd been walking along with his head down, looked up, the woman was disappearing around a corner. She was walking off. He was in the middle of a situation where there was some serious temptation, but he prayed out. He said, God, help me. I want to do it your way here. I want to do it your way. You can do the same thing in any area of your life. When you are tempted to say something that will cut and hurt, something that will not represent Jesus, you remember the verse in the Bible. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. When you're getting ready to slice somebody open with your sharp tongue, Jesus will say, you sure you want to do that? I can help you. And now you have the option. Go forward with self or go forward with surrender. And you can say, Lord, I choose to surrender. I want to surrender to you. And Jesus Christ will come into your life with power and with force. And I don't mean he will force his way in, but the Holy Spirit is a force, you understand. And he will come in with victory when you yield yourself to God. Yield. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who's going to let me in? That's the question Jesus asks. I wonder today if you would say, Lord, I want to let you in. You see, there is power in the Word of God. And there is power in Jesus to give you a new beginning. And I know the experience of so many people. Intentions are right. Desires for goodness and righteousness are, are, are right. They want that. But they're powerless. And it seems like every time they come to this fence, they fall over it rather than clear it. Every time they come to the little pothole in the ground, it causes them to stumble and fall rather than being able to step right across it. 
What God offers us today is a life of surrender where we say, Lord, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. I want to encourage you today. God can do great things. I read in a very, very good book called Christ's Object Lessons. If you have never read that book, read that book. And then when you're done, read it again. Christ's Object Lessons. If you would turn to page 312 in that book, you will find a little little statement that says, when we submit ourselves to Him. Now, let me ask you a question. Submit is just another word for what? Surrender. When we submit ourselves to Him, something happens. When we submit ourselves to Him, our heart is united with His heart. Our will is merged in His will. Our mind becomes one with His mind. Our thoughts are brought into captivity to Him. We live His life. This is what it means to be clothed in the robe of His righteousness. How does all that happen? Don't you want, don't you want that today? I do. I do. Now, I mean, I, I've, got this, I've got this selfish thing deep down here that is striving for expression. It just is. And, and, and in, oh, I, I don't know, uh, myriad situations. Something will come up and something back there says, just go at it, man. And something else says, no, we can't have that because I am choosing to be surrendered to Jesus. When we submit ourselves to Him, our heart is united with His heart. You want your heart united with Christ's heart. I know you do. Our heart is united with His heart. This is a big one. Our will is merged in His will. That's amazing, isn't it? That's 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 amazing that you could... uh, Oh, 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 let's find something trivial. That you could, you could, you could stare that bag of M&Ms in the face and say, I could, you know, but my will is merged in his will. And so now that's just not an issue. Or a young lady could stare her boyfriend in the face and say, I could but my will is merged in his will. (laughs) Our mind becomes one with his mind. Wouldn't that be helpful? I've got more assignments. I hate that teacher. I hate this class. I hate this school. I hate my parents for sending me here. I hate, who else is there to hate? (laughs) I hate everybody. Funny, isn't it? That assignment is due Thursday. Ah, now I hate the whole world. But no, wait a minute, assignment is due Thursday and something says, wait a minute, get thee behind me, Satan. My mind is one with his mind. All right. Beautiful. Let's, let's, let's take this. This is going to be a challenge, but Lord going to help me with this. Our thoughts, you know the one thing, I'll tell you a funny thing. 
I have said to my wife at times, and you don't want to ask a person this question too many times, otherwise they'll be, just get really paranoid and they think you're weird. But I said to my wife once or twice, what are you thinking about? She'd have that little look. I said, what are you thinking? And, and she has responded to me by saying, nothing. And I don't know if that's a talent or if that's something I should be worried about. How do you think of nothing? You're always thinking, one would hope. Now, I have some children. There are times they are the exceptions to that rule. You think all the time. And your thoughts can go places you didn't even plan on them going. And, and, it, and it could be ugly thoughts or impure thoughts or selfish thoughts or just silly thoughts. But what God has promised is that our thoughts can be brought into captivity to Him. You read that in 2 Corinthians. There was a scripture reading last night. Our thoughts brought into captivity to Him. That's radical. Now, that's the type of individual that I can see in Revelation chapter 18, God filling up with His presence and allowing that person to be exhibit A before the whole world. Our thoughts are brought into captivity to Him. We live His life. That's what God can do for me and you. When we surrender, run up the white flag, open up the door, and let Jesus come in. Now remember, surrender, I mean, this is what I think, for the Japanese was probably humiliating. And sometimes surrendering to Jesus is humiliating because you're admitting that you need to do things His way and not your way. That's a little humiliating or maybe humbling. Surrender isn't always the attractive option, especially in this world where we teach our children from, from this big to stand on your own two feet and make good decisions and think for yourself and do your own thing. And then you become a Christian, you know, go, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now I'm supposed to turn all that over to Jesus. It's a change in thinking. It might be a challenge. It might be a struggle. But I'm going to tell you it's God's way and it's God's will. And when we yield to Christ, surrender to Christ, we experience truly a new beginning. I want to tell you this story because it illustrates the point. I hope it doesn't distract you, but I'll share this story with you. It was some years ago when my little boy was a little boy. He was about two years old. It was a Friday, and I said to Jacob, Jacob, tomorrow we're going to have a special Sabbath. Now, Sabbath was always special because where we were living was near the grandparents, and Sabbath school was so great, and Miss Ellie was the Sabbath school teacher and probably the greatest there ever was, and, and everything was just great. But I said, we've got to make it a great Sabbath tomorrow. I said, son, let's make sure we have the best Sabbath breakfast that we've ever had. And he was excited. I said, in fact, let's go to Food Lion right now and buy anything you want. Let's go. So we told mum, see you later. We've got man stuff to do. Food shopping. <laughs> Jacob was up in his little car seat. And I drove us the three miles or so down the Food Lion. And... Uh, and, we, we, and he hadn't discovered tater tots yet, so we didn't buy them. I think if we went 
tomorrow we'd just buy an, a truckload of them and everything would be sweet. But we got in there and we went to the right, which is where the fruit and stuff was. And I said, Jacob, anything you can see, we're going to buy it. Bananas, Dad. We've got some bananas. Oh, they're like bananas, only they taste better. <laughs> got some bananas. Got some pears. He liked to look at them pears. Got some grapes. Not as good as the grapes that grew in our backyard, but still we bought some. Found some cantaloupe. They were on sale. Got a truckload of cantaloupe. Filled up that shopping cart. Watermelon. Oh, I looked at the price. Uh-oh. But I had told him. And so we went over there and we found us a watermelon and we started flicking. Do you do this when you buy watermelon? You do that? Do you know what it means? Does it help you? It doesn't help you, does it? Does one watermelon sound any different from another? Oh, don't fib. They sound all the same. And you don't even know what note you're looking for. You need one of them little things. Go, a B flat. This is the one. They all sound, you don't know. So we did that. And we just admitted, we don't know what we're doing, do we? So no. Let's, let's just buy the biggest. That's what we'll do. Got the biggest. Had to have apples. Oh, we discovered they were New Zealand apples. New Zealand apples are the best apples money can buy. Don't know if you knew that. My son knew that. We got us some New Zealand apples. We bought all the good stuff. We went home and we washed some stuff and we put the watermelon in the fridge. We went out in the yard and we picked blueberries. Oh, blueberries, best things in the world. And the, and the bushes were just loaded and we picked it all. And then we waited. Tomorrow couldn't come quickly enough. So in the morning, after I'd had my quiet time with the Lord, down the stairs I bound. I'm excited. This is going to be a big day. We're going to indulge ourselves in all my son's favorite food. And I get into the kitchen. And Jacob's eating already. He's eating noodles. Out of the trash can. Now, if it was your child, I would just think that's the funniest thing in the world. Ha, ha. Your kid's eating out of the trash. Ha, ha. It was my child. It wasn't funny. Jacob, I said, Jacob, what are you doing? And he says, Noonles, Daddy. Noonles. I said, I can see the noonles, but what are you doing eating noonles? What are you doing eating them out of the trash? And he looked at me as if to say, you say that like it's a bad thing. That's a look he had on his face. I said, son, and we did some sign language with him, you know, just for fun. Dirty. That's dirty, man. You can't eat that. That stuff's dirty. And by now his mother, whose back, whose back was turned, turned around and she was aghast. <gasps> My son is eating out of the trash. And so, so Jacob now figured it was dirty and he put it back in the trash can and started spitting the noodles out. And I said, besides Jacob, have you forgotten what daddy has for you? I opened up the refrigerator. He could see it from where he was sitting on the floor. And there was the mother of all North Carolina watermelons, not the one that sounded right, but the biggest one. And there it was on the top shelf in the watermelon. And he remembered. I said, son, the blueberries, 
and the apples. He said, the New Zealand apples, Daddy. I said, yes, the New Zealand apples. And boom, he was up in his little booster seat, salivating like one of them big dogs, waiting for Daddy to bring the food. And we talked about that later. Son, you forgot about the blessing Daddy had for you. And instead you chose to eat out of the trash. How often people do that in this world? Come on, friend. Steve Jobs is dead. He died one of the richest men in California. He's dead. It's over. You can have it all and still just be eating out of the trash. I'm not making a judgment call on that man, but he made one on himself. Claimed not to be a Christian in any way, shape, or form. He had all the world could have. Brilliant man. God bless him. God bless him. Doesn't end. Man's all over my life. He had more toys than most people could ever have. That is, he had the wherewithal to have them and could have whatever he wanted. You know something? Without Christ, it's all just eating out of the trash. What does the Proverbs say? Better, better a dinner of herbs than a stalled oxen without righteousness, something like that. Better to have little with Christ than everything without Him. Now, I'm not saying that our decision today is about having little or having much. It's just about having the right thing. What do you want, friend? To refuse to yield and run your life your way and live your life doing your thing? You're eating out of the trash, plain and simple. Or would you say, Lord, I open the door. And, and may, maybe, maybe it's not even within us to, 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 to do that. Maybe we can just say, Lord, it's, it's unlocked. Open the door and come on in. Same thing. I wonder if you would say that to Jesus today. I am encouraging you today to make a new beginning and to choose to live a life of surrender. A life of surrender. Now, now, you can't live a life of surrender now, but you can make a decision now. You can choose now to make a decision and surrender to Jesus. If someone's going to play something, then why don't you go right ahead and play because we need to speak to some hearts here. The long walk, all right. Friend, how is it with you today? I don't know, I don't know where you are or what's going on between your ears or, or, or how your heart is, but you could choose to make a decision for Jesus today. It would be the right decision and the right thing to do. Now, I don't know if you would say in your heart, everything's fine, I'm yielded and growing. To, to yield isn't to declare perfection, you understand. It's merely to declare a willingness to receive Christ's perfection and grow in His grace. But how is it in your heart today? Are you able to say, Lord, I wish to live a life of surrender? You know, there are times you've just got to do what you've got to do. 
and I would love to put in your hand one of those cards that we shared last night, but I can't because we don't have enough. So I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. Firstly, please, would you stand where you are? Just stand up, would you? As you stand here today, I wish to ask you a question and have you make a decision, the decision that you would like Jesus to make, uh, Jesus to carry out in your life. Please remember that Christianity isn't a matter of you making promises to God. Someone said that all our promises are like ropes of sand. I've experienced that. That's the truth. But Christianity is about you coming to God and saying, God, keep your promises to me. If it's true that you work in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure, then I would like to experience that. Please make it happen. If it's true that you want to come in and sit down and dine with me, then I want that. Please come into my life. If it's true that I can choose you, righteousness, and not choose sin, then Lord, here's, here's my will. Take it and make it yours. If you sense today that you need to make a new beginning and make a decision to live a surrendered life. Now, I'm not, I'm not speaking to everybody here. Some of you all uh, already feel like you're living connected to Jesus and you're surrendered and it's a matter of growing in grace. That's fine. But if today you need to make a new decision to experience a new beginning, I can't give you a card. So I'm going to ask you to come and join me down here in the front. We're going to pray together. By making this, this short walk today, you're saying, Jesus, I choose to make that, that decision to experience a new beginning. Now, please, let me speak again as you come. I, I want to just narrow this a little bit. Because if everybody came forward, my appeal would not have worked well. So please just wait a moment. If you're wrestling and you need Jesus to do a work in your life that you cannot do, if, if, if let's say you've never really made a decision to yield to Jesus, then come. Now, if you've come and you've made that, just keep on coming. But if you know that you need to experience the grace of God in a powerful way, you know what? There are people here in this place today who need to make a decision to be baptized. If that's you, come. If there's a struggle going on, come. If you need in a special way, a great measure of God's grace that you can live a surrendered life now. If you can say, you know, I, I've been living a selfish life. It's been me in control. I want to yield it up and give control to Jesus. Please make that decision today and just come. Again, listen, if you're okay, stay right where you are and pray for those around you. And if there's someone near you who's doing this, tap them on the arm and say, go, I'll come with you. Christ calls you today to open the door. That is simply another way of saying to surrender to his presence and allow him to come in. Have you been living that surrendered life? God bless you. Pray. Just stay and pray. But if it is not a life you've been living and you want a new beginning and you want to live that radical surrendered life, I invite you to come today. Please just come. I, I'm not going to stand here all afternoon. But I do want to give you a moment to, to, to think and to consider. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep quiet for a moment. I will just pray as I stand here and encourage you to do the same thing. And if Jesus is calling you to make a new beginning, to live the surrendered life that you've never lived, to embrace Him fully and completely, then while the musicians play, please come.
You know what I'm going to ask you to do? Would you? I said we don't have the cards to give you. We we do, but only to those who come forward. If if you've come, would you come forward? Step forward a little bit, please, because there are people who are stuck halfway down the aisle and they want to come up here. And I want you to, so we can pray together and put one of these little yellow cards in your hand that you can express some kind of a decision. So just come if you would, please. You know the words of the song say, "How great Thou art! God is great enough." To bring all the fullness of the Godhead bodily into your life, into your life, and and bring His presence and His power into your life, so that your life is now really His life, just flowing through you. That friend is Christianity, yielding to Christ, so that He lives in us, to will and to do of His good pleasure. And tomorrow you yield again, and then at nine thirty you yield again, and our life becomes a life. Of continual yielding to Jesus, have Thine own way, Lord. That's what it means. And Christ wants to live His life. We're going to pray. We're going to pray together. Um, our our friends here from GYC Southeast together. Be sure that you, has everybody got one of them cards? All right. Well, let's pray. Can we pray together? And and see, in fact, I'm going to um, come down here because it would just be better to be with you. And we're going to pray together that God would bless, especially these who've come forward to make a decision for Him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are that we can know there is a God so great as to wish to give us a new beginning. Look at us, Lord. We're a bunch of sinners.、Um, if any of us were to think for just a moment about our own individual、um, mess, it wouldn't take us very long. And we are thankful that not everybody else knows about it. What sort of a God are you that you would welcome the sinners? Is that verse in the Bible that says, "While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us"? I am so thankful that you offer us a new beginning and a new start, and that you make it so simple. You haven't asked us to make a pilgrimage to some far-flung country. You haven't asked us to climb a staircase on our knees. You haven't asked us to to do any form of penance or to. Somehow work to ingratiate ourselves with you. All you ask us to do is surrender and invite you to come into our lives and clean it up. So please do that, Lord. And then, as you do, give us hearts that will continue to yield and cooperate by letting you live in us continually. Now there are some of us when we go from here, we've, we've made a decision to yield. But you know, then tonight when we get that phone call. We're going to have to make that decision again. So help us, Lord, help us. We're going to get some invitations, some propositions, some encouragement of the wrong kind, and then we will need to yield again. So call to us, Lord, with a voice that we cannot fail to hear. Do it. If somebody out there who wanted to come forward and didn't, just encourage that one, even as they stand right there. You see the heart. You see the heart. So, Father, we ask you today, please come into our lives. There are some individuals who've come to the front today for varying reasons. I cannot know what they all are, but they all desire. We all desire a new beginning. So let it be, please. We yield to you best we can. We say, take our heart because we cannot give it. It's your property. 
Keep it pure because we cannot keep it for you. Save us in spite of ourselves, our weak, unchristlike selves. Mold us and fashion us and raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through our soul. Please let that be real. As we go from here, we're going to go believing that we have chosen you, that we are yours, yielded and kept by your grace. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.